As we begin this morning, I failed to mention that uh, tonight there will be no regular 6 p.m. worship service, so uh, that's a regular thing that we normally do on Sunday evenings, but because of the holiday, so many families in town, we're going to not have that tonight, so you all can meet and enjoy that time with your family, and we hope that you have a wonderful uh, Christmas holiday, and that uh, if you're traveling, that you get back to where you're going safely, and uh, we hope that uh, we'll see you again. You're always welcome at Northside. It was a week ago today, I'm looking at Eric Middleton, the pilot, who probably is familiar with what happened in Atlanta a week ago today. There was a fire in the Atlanta airport, and it was um, bad enough that it stranded lots of people. Um, the, the fire caused the power to go out, which was, you know, an airport's bad enough this time of year. And then you have a fire that causes the power to go out, and really bad things start to happen. Flights were stranded. Uh, luggage was stuck, everyone was frustrated, and in the midst of the darkness, there came a beacon of light. And you all know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> on a Sunday, a restaurant known for being closed on Sunday opened up, not because they wanted to do a great marketing campaign, but I think they did, because they wanted to do something that was in their character as a Christian organization, and that is they wanted to give people hope. You know, if, if I could say a church is really not a business, but if, if we were a business, I think the thing that we market as a church more than anything is hope. Chick-fil-A doesn't just sell delicious chicken sandwiches and waffle fries with a variety of sauces for your tasting pleasure. They give people hope. Now, you think that the thousands of people that were sitting in that airport stuck, just thinking about all the things going wrong, miserable, cramped, sweaty, stinky, not knowing where their luggage, not knowing when they get to where they were supposed to be going, in the moment when a a worker from Chick-fil-A handed them a sandwich and said, it would be my pleasure, in that moment they were given just a teeny, tiny bit of hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today in the final lesson of our series. Not Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches, something much more powerful than that. If such a thing could exist, that is hope. It is amazing what you can do when you have hope. And it's equally discouraging what you can't do when you've lost hope. I'm not sure where 2017's led you this year, whether you've gained a lot of hope, whether you sit here today full of hope and joy, or maybe you've lost it and you're despairing and you're wondering, is it possible for this year to get any worse? Hope is the fuel of life. With it, you can go anywhere, and without it, you are stuck in a rut. If you have it, you have almost everything you need to do whatever God calls you to do, but if you don't have it... It doesn't matter how well equipped you are, you won't get very far. And the greatest hope of all time appeared in the most unlikely sort of places. The scripture records that it was a baby in a manger. In this whole series, we've been talking about the birth story of Jesus. Those four beautiful chapters of the gospel which tell the story of how God came into our world. You see, he wasn't just a baby. He was the hope of the world. 
Now, when was Jesus born? Ah, the scriptures don't really say. It doesn't say December 25th. It could have been December 25th. It could have been any other day. Because the reason is not when he was born, but that he was born. May we not forget that Jesus is our hope. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, when, whenever he came, on whatever date it was, that he came at the exact right moment. Paul describes it this way to the Christians in Galatia. If you're following along in your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He writes this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might have adoption as sons. You see, Israel knew that a Savior would come. The problem was they just didn't know when. A hindsight, oh, it's a, it's a great gift, but foresight is nearly impossible. You know, if you could have uh, told someone at the beginning of the year how wonderful the stock market was going to do in 2017, oh, they would have just, you know, invested everything they could, mortgaged the house. I mean, it, it would be a, a fantastic investment. But see, the problem is you can't do that because we can only look backward and say what a great investment it was. Now we have the wisdom of hindsight. But, but in January, we didn't know that. We, didn't, we couldn't have foretold God sent a son just at the right time. You need to understand that wherever you are this morning, that God's timing is always right. Now, you need to hear me again because some of you didn't, didn't quite hear me and you needed to hear me. God's timing is always right. And it's almost never, ever the same as our timing. And praise God for that. That God's timing is always perfect, and that if we'll wait upon the Lord, our hope will be fulfilled. Waiting on God is no unusual thing. In Genesis, tells us the story of Joseph. He had to wait on God 13 years before God would fulfill and answer his promise and his hope. Abraham would wait 25 years, maybe a little longer, to have a son. Moses would wait 40 years to lead a people. You need to understand as we step into history, as we reflect upon the birth story of Jesus, and we think about how God became a man, you need to understand that Israel knew a Savior was coming. They just didn't know when. And to that point, they had been waiting not 13 years, not 25 years, not 40 years, but 400 years. This part in the Bible where we turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's this little tiny page between the two. And that little tiny page is so misleading because there's four long centuries of God being silent. After he had prophesied, after he had predicted, turn to Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25, just read one of those predictions. Because it wasn't like they didn't know a Messiah was coming. They just didn't have the foresight. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. At the beginning of that verse, it says, it will be said on that day, we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Did they even have any idea how long of a wait 
that would be. This morning, if you're stuck in a hopeless situation and you wonder if God is going to show up, and if God's going to show up, when is God going to show up? Can I just encourage you that God is on the way, that hope is headed your way, and if it's not here now, the only answer to that is the one that you don't want to hear from the preacher. Hurry up and wait. That's what all people of faith have had to learn to do. May we not forget that they had to wait and that in your life you and I might have to wait as well. You see, if God is making you wait, it's for a good reason and you are in good company. Second, we learn that hope came to the right people. Who are the right people? Was it the Israelites? Well, they knew that it was that the Messiah would come from them, from the tribe of da- uh, from the tribe of Judah, of uh, the lineage of David. They knew all of that, and of course, the stories tell us about Jesus's genealogy and lineage. But I think it was more than that. You turn to Matthew chapter twelve, Matthew chapter twelve, verse eighteen and following. I think hope was designed to come. To the right people, and the right people were all those who had lost hope. The Bible calls them bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, which is a beautiful picture. A bruised reed a, a, is, a, is a reed, is a plant that's almost broken, but not quite. A smoldering wick is a wick that has this tiny, it's, not, it's no longer got a flame on it. It's got a tiny little ember. Just about to go out, almost a flame of smoke. But no, bruised reeds and smoldering wicks in Matthew chapter 12 is is told who hope comes to. Uh, Chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will put their hope. One of the saddest experiences I ever had when we went to a camp one time. Teenagers, and we had a, a bunch of prayer requests. We allowed them to put these sticky notes on the wall and put their prayer requests. I think the teens still do this at teen camp. And they would write down people they were praying for. And we'd get that stack of post-it notes, probably about this thick, and we'd divide them up among the staff. And we'd pray for those folks during the week. And I got one at the very top of my stack, and it said, Please pray for my dad. He's lost his hope. And that wrenches the heart. But if I could reach out to that young man who was anonymous, I could reach out and tell him that this is who God came to. Precisely to the people who had come to. See, after four long centuries, you had to know that there were people in Israel who had lost their hope. In fact, the, the scripture tells us the story of one of them. One who's only named one time in scripture. His name is Simeon. And his story is told in Luke chapter 2. Very interesting in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 33, as the story of Jesus being presented at the temple. And it tells us that he took him up. And he came in the spirit into the temple. 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. You see, in that moment, Simeon saw more than an infant. He saw an answer. He knew that after so long, after such a long wait, after wondering how or when God was going to show up, it finally got the answer that a baby was coming. It's dark. The world lies in sin and error pining. The shadows are conspiring. But a light is coming. The Lord has been quiet for four centuries. The prophets are gone. There are no signs to see. It's silent. But let me tell you something. A voice is coming. The patriarchs are long dead. The judges were traded for a bunch of crowned heads. This monarchy, though, consistently failed and misled. No system is working. But there's a new king coming. Man's dead in religion. Legalism reigns. Ceremonial acts, which are just simply profane, the law is not working. But a new covenant is coming. The people are defiling. The rituals God is despising. Even the priests are compromising. And the sin offerings, they're worthless sacrificing. Oh, but get ready because a lamb is coming. The temple is a den of thieves. A brood of vipers are the Pharisees. Same too for the Sadducees. They don't even know there's a new high priest coming. The nations are suffering. Evil is chuckling. And the faithful are left wondering, does God even care? Oh, let me tell you something. Emmanuel is coming. God's people desire a glorious king. The world is yearning for eternity. A perfect sacrifice each soul desperately needs. It's a silent night, but hope is in sight. A most precious gift God is bestowing. The Bethlehem star begins glowing. Let the good news start growing. A baby is coming. Jesus brought hope to a hopeless people in his birth and 
in his life. Now you just think about it, it's powerful to think about how God came in the form of human flesh as an innocent child, as a baby, so dependent and so fragile. But as that baby grew from a boy into a man, he became a life that gave people hope. He was an angel to the man with a demon. He was a doctor to those who were sick and couldn't be healed. He was cleansing to the lepers. He was mercy to a woman caught in adultery. He was calm in the calamity of the storm. He was relief to a woman who suffered for eight long years. He was power to the paralyzed. He gave life to the dead. And you see, sometimes it's possible to to recall those stories of hope and say, yeah, but that was just for them. That seems like something that happened a long time ago. And as we step back into their time, when that baby stepped into our world, don't you know they felt the same way? The, the, The promises of God that the Messiah who was to come, that was coming, that was promises from such a long time ago. You see, we and they can identify But you need to know that hope came not just for them, but also for us. He gives hope to the one who's suffering in chronic pain and wonders if they will, she will ever get to leave the hospital. He's hope to the man slowly dying of cancer and wondering how much time he has left. He's hope to the man silently struggling with depression. Who is not sure he can come to church one more time. He is hope to the child who was abused. He was hope to the marriage hanging on by a thread. He is hope to the man enslaved to pornography. He is hope to the parents who lost their child. He is hope to the teen doubts and fears. Matthew one twenty one says she will give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's hope to them. He's hope to us. He's hope to all of us. He came to rescue all of us from the, our sin and from the fires of hell. Randy Alcorn tells a story in his book, The Grace and Truth Paradox, about what it's like to be rescued. I'd spoken at a missionary conference in Palmer, Alaska. Afterward, we were headed north to Galena by a small plane. My 10-year-old Karina and I were flying with our missionary friend, Barry Arnold, and his daughter, Andrea. Nancy and our daughter, Angie, were leaving with the rest of Barry's family an hour later in another plane, taking a different route. Well into the flight, we were cruising over a beautiful waterfall at 3,000 feet, when suddenly the engine lost power. Smoke billowed, oil splashed on the windshield. Seeing that there was no oil pressure, Barry had to shut off the engine, which looked like it was about to burn. Suddenly, we were descending rapidly in a rough mountain pass where there was no place to land, and it looked like we wouldn't make it. By God's grace, Barry spotted uh, just the right strip of dirt and dodged the rocks in a beautiful emergency landing. Had we only been a few miles farther, there would have been nowhere to land, and we would have crashed. We landed at 4.30 p.m. Barry set off the emergency locator transmitter and tried to reach help with the radio. We put our rocks out to form an SOS. We set up a shelter. We ate our sea rations and prayed for our families who would soon realize 
that we were down but wouldn't know where, whether or not we were alive nor where we were. Then we waited, hoping and praying we'd be rescued before the cold night came upon us. In the next hours, we saw three planes. Two were commercial flights flying high. They weren't listening to the emergency frequency, didn't see our SOS or our fire, and didn't notice us waving the white flags. The third airplane could have seen us, but the pilot wasn't looking. It got darker. We prepared to spend the night. At 10.30 p.m., a search and rescue plane saw our flare. After we'd been seven hours on the ground near midnight, a huge craft descended from above, bright lights piercing the darkness. It was a search and rescue helicopter. The pilot got out and flashed his broad grin. He was the most welcome sight we'd ever seen. He said, we expected wreckage. We didn't think you'd be alive. We found out later there were four airplanes and two helicopters combing the mountains looking for us. Otherwise, we'd never have been found. I still remember the squeals of delight from our 10-year-old girls at the helicopter with its powerful searchlight and deafening roar landed only 40 feet from us. I'll never forget the look, the sense of wonder and gratitude when they took us on board and flew us to spend the night in a hunting lodge. It was an indescribable feeling. And he ended with this. I know what it means to be unable to make it out on our own. I know what it means to be overlooked by those who are unaware of our plight. I know what it is to be found by someone who is searching, someone with resources we didn't have but that we owe so desperately needed. His hope came right for us. And because we believe he came for us, may we not forget that we believe that he is coming again. Paul said to the church at Philippi, he said, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. You see, the hope story wasn't just something that happened not four centuries ago, but 20 centuries ago. It's a story that resonates within us century after century until the end of the age, whenever that may be. It may be in five minutes. It may be in another 5,000 years. But because of the newborn, we have a new hope that we can be born again. And Peter wrote these words in First Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, we have hope today because of what he did yesterday. And because of what he did yesterday, we have hope for tomorrow. Uh, Members and any guests here this morning, of which there are many, May I gently remind you that our greatest hope was not a what, but a who, a Jesus Christ. And if you don't know his hope this morning, if you've lost your hope, we want to help you. Whether that's stepping into a new relationship with through Christ, through faith, repentance, baptism, or whether that's getting back on the journey that you sort of lost your way. If you have lost your hope this morning, don't leave here Without any hope, we offer it to you this morning. We don't. He does. If you're ready to have that hope again, I want to invite you to come forward 
We'll meet with you down front and help you in any way we can as together we stand and sing.